It's really a privilege to be able to come to conference and to see all that God is doing, the tremendous preaching and uh, the lives touched, the sermons that were lifesavers. I don't know about you, but I was saved again and again and again and again so far of mindsets and uh, issues of life and all that God is doing. And as I was uh, thinking and pondering about this sermon, I had written a sermon specifically on the theme of conference. I always tend to do that uh, because I'm just a facts ma'am guy. And I was studying yesterday and going through that and looking at all I had written down, had it all in my mind. And then 4.20 this morning, I was woken up. And it wasn't by indigestion from the sushi I had yesterday. But it was God stirring me, and I had... In my bag, I always bring an extra sermon in case, you know, last time it was Scott Lamb destroying me. And this time Scott Lamb touched on this one a little bit, but not enough to kill it, so I'm going to do it. Uh, We're both from New Jersey, so we're both insane. We both think alike. We were both brought up on toxic waste. Uh, He lived farther north than me. I was closer to the dump, and so I got a little bit more toxic waste, so I'm not quite as clever as him. But I want to talk about something I really feel is very important. I I, I was, uh, again, just woken up this morning, really felt I needed to preach this sermon. And I want to talk about something that has stirred me as of late, and I hopefully will help you. And I want to talk about the care of the saints, how we care for the saints of God and following up on them. See, most of us think follow-up is a program delegated to low-level people because it's not worth our time. And we delegate that away, and we don't worry about it. We don't think about it. It's just something to be done here and there. But I want you to know the Bible is very clear that God has a great concern for each and every member of our churches. Not just the high flyer, not just those that we see great promise in, but those that God sees great promise in, and that is everyone. I'm going to be preaching out of the book of Acts chapter 15, because how someone is doing for Jesus should be a priority for everyone here. How people do for God, how they live for God, how they go on after they're in the church should be of primary importance to all of us. And I really believe that's sadly lacking today. You know, there was a story years ago I heard. There was a man out in the desert by Las Vegas, and he was hitchhiking. This man looked terrible. He had kind of a suit on, but it was pretty thrashed, crumpled up. He had long hair and a beard, looked looked really nasty, and he was hitchhiking. People were passing him by, passing him by, not concerned with him, not interested. Many, many cars went by. Finally, a tow truck driver saw this guy. He says, man, I can't leave this old guy out here in the desert. He He needs a ride. Picks him up, takes him down into the strip area of Las Vegas, drops him off in front of a hotel. He couldn't imagine what this guy was going to do at the hotel he was dropping off at. It was very plush. But he dropped him off, went about his business, never knew who it was, didn't ask, just gave the guy a ride. Well, some years later, 
An attorney shows up at this man's door, knocks on his door, says, are you so-and-so? Uh, did, you, did you used to work for this company? And uh, did you give a ride to an old guy one time? Like, oh, yeah, that old guy, yeah, he was dressed like this. Yeah, he goes, yeah, that man was Howard Hughes. He left you $23 million. See, when you invest in someone that you think is worth nothing, sometimes the dividends are very great. Let's read Acts 15, verses 36 through 41. It says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so one of the things I want to talk about firstly is that salvation in someone's life does not end the day they get saved. This is a common error. We think someone comes into our church, they've been saved, they've come in, they prayed a prayer, and they're done. Now we can move on to someone else. You need to understand, that's the beginning. That's the beginning stage. This is not an end. This is a beginning. And Paul understood this. He understood that their initial salvation experience in the churches he had gone through, that he had preached to, this initial experience needed to be followed up on. He wanted to go back and visit them again. He wanted to go back and solidify them. He said, let us now go back and visit our brethren. Let us now go back and follow up to see how they are doing. Let us now go back and see these saints of God and how they're doing with the Lord. In Philippians 4, 2 and 3, he writes to the church in Philippi, he says, I implore Yodia and I implore Sinchi to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He's saying, listen, there's a responsibility that all of us have. Again, I want to say something here. This is not just the pastor's job. Boy, that went over good. This is not just the pastor's job. Oh, pastor follows up. I have more important things to do, like band practice on the same song for nine weeks. I have important things to do. I have these, these ministries, I have these things that I, that I have to give myself to, and it's interesting here that, you know, we're, we're looking at these people in need, but yet we don't see any need. We have written them off already, and here's Paul writing, he's saying, listen, you have a responsibility to make sure they remain in the faith, to make sure that they can be sustained in the kingdom of God, that they can go on and be productive and make impact for Christ. And we take this so lightly. It's like when you call for two things, it's, you get a really negative response. One, somebody already mentioned, nursery workers, they all run for the hills. And when you call for anybody who's interested in follow-up, it's dead silence. As if somehow this has no import in the kingdom. It's time for us as people of God to renew our interest in people in our churches 
You know, it's so sad as a pastor to watch God bringing in people, God building the church. I don't know about you. We pray for revival. We want revival. How many of you want revival? You're praying God will bring people in. And then God begins to bring them in and you ignore them. You spend time fellowshipping with the same two people that agree with you in your church and have no contact or you know, uh, no interaction with most anyone else. We need to become interested again in others, but that's going to take us to become disinterested in ourselves. We really get interested about ourselves. We can talk about ourselves all day. It's a great witnessing tool. Ask someone how they're doing before you witness them. They'll tell you their whole life. Because we love talking about ourselves. But what about others? What about the needs of others, the ministry of others, the life of others, things they're going through? What about them? Isn't this about other people? Pastor Mark says we have to die to ourselves if we're going to save our life. And we have to die to self all the time. It's an ongoing process. But we miss this, and we don't take that to heart. And we're looking at people in our congregation, and as one brother said, you know, they've been there a year. Uh, it was Scott Lamb. And we've been, they've been there a year. We don't even know who they are. Oh, who's that? Oh, I don't know. Who's who? They were sitting next to you this morning. What's their name? Who? What are you, an owl? I mean, who? You got feathers? The people sitting next to you, who is that? I don't know. Didn't you ask them to lunch? Well, don't you take people out to lunch, Pastor? Yeah, you're supposed to too. Can you find out their name, where they live, how they came in? What's going on? But they ignore them because they're not interested. Philippians 2, 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than ourselves. Difficult concept. Better than me? Huh, you're kidding. No, that's what it says. So many Christians today, especially in older churches, you come to church out of obligation... You don't want to go to hell. The pastor, too. They show up and preach at obligation. And we do this. We come and we put in our time. But we're not really not interested in how anyone else is doing. It's about us. about how we're doing. It's about how we are doing things in our life. We're focused only on us. And we come in late, leave early and have no fellowship in between. It's very common. And here we have visitors coming in. And, you know, it would be good if you actually shook their hand and said, hi, my name is so-and-so. We're really glad you're here. And, you know, my goal in our church is I want that person's hand shook so much that it's still shaking when they leave the building. I want them to, you know, feel welcome. I want them to feel that we want them there. In my church especially because they got a lot of thugs there, you know. And so they got, we want them to feel welcome. Hi. Check this, check this one out. Hi. <laughs> we really want you to come back, you know. But I want them to 
feel welcome because, you know, sometimes you walk into a church where the ushers are 250 pounds and tacked down with bald heads. People get nervous, you know, and so you have to want them to feel welcome. And so, you know, this is something we all should be doing, but we don't consider it. We're not putting our focus on them. We're not thinking about that soul. And that's a shame, church. That is a shame to watch. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is a clear directive. It's talking about people in the congregation, people in the church. We are to not forsake assembly with them. We are to link with them. We are to be a part of their life. We are to encourage them. We are to help them. We are to speak into their life. We are to exhort them about the things of God. That is written to the church, all of us. It's not a special ministry for someone that, uh, you know, they can't do anything else. Let them follow up. So I want my best people following up finding out how to work with people, how to love them, how to care for them, how to give of themselves. And please, follow-up is not a text message. Lord, help us. Did you follow up? Yeah, I sent him three texts. He's not responding. I don't know what happened. I do. He doesn't have a phone. You got to knock on his door. His house phone doesn't receive text messages. What's wrong with you? Text, what is a text? You can't stop by their home? Is that too much to ask to stop by someone's house? Show that you're concerned? Stop by and show them that you love them, that you appreciate them, you want them to live for God? Matthew Henry says about Hebrews 10, he says, believers are to consider how they can be of service to each other. That nasty word, service again. Servanthood. Especially stirring each other up to the more vigorous and abundant exercise of love and the practice of good works. It says the c- communion of saints is of great help and privilege and a means of steadfastness and perseverance. We should observe the coming of, of times of trial and thereby quicken ourselves to greater diligence in this. Follow up. Every pastor here would love a good follow up program. But it's not a program. It's a heart for people. It is people with a heart for other people. And they need to understand the great need here. These people, their condition has to be cared for. And, you know, we lose focus on that. Here is Paul. He says, let us go back again. Let us have a follow-up campaign. Let us go back and work with these people to draw them into greater blessing in the kingdom, greater stability, greater enlargement. He wants to go back and touch these lives. And he thinks, uh, you know, this is going to be a great adventure, but all of a sudden Barnabas wants to bring John Mark. Now, I understand later on John Mark became useful and a blessing to Paul. That's well and good. But in this text, he was not. Paul says, wait a minute, I don't want him to go. We wonder why. He said, well, you know, well, he, he, you know, he just left. No. He left because he didn't have a heart for others, only himself. His heart was just for him, and when the going got really difficult, he bailed and went back because he thought about himself only. He wasn't concerned about the souls or the ministry or the converts or anything else. 
Life Application Commentary says the grand plan of Paul and Barnabas to launch a follow-up campaign quickly unraveled when the topic of John Mark came up. The men disagreed over the inclusion of this young believer on, a, uh, on another missionary trip. Paul adamantly did not want to take him along because he had deserted them on their first journey and he felt he would do them harm being unreliable and uncaring. See, Paul understood something. There has to be a heart for these people. It just can't be a follow-up visit. There has to be a heart developed for these lives. You know, Barnabas was taking John Mark not only because he's the son of consolation, but because it's his nephew. But he wasn't qualified at that time. Paul knew this man had lost interest before, and he was afraid he was going to do it again. He says, these people are worth more than that, and we're not going to chance this because they are valuable in the sight of God. They have true worth in the sight of God. And Paul says, you know what, we've got to get beyond self-interest. We've got to get beyond looking at us alone and begin to care about other people. In Philippians 2, 4, and 5, it says, let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who always look for others. When we look at the Bible... You know, people struggle for verses for follow-up, but it's filled with follow-up issues. The Bible's filled with this. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, 44 through 47, it says, And all that believe were together. There's a great concept. And they had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and good, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You know, sometimes when the Lord is trying to add to us daily such as should be saved, they won't stay because our heart is not to have them added. We don't give them the time they need. We don't give them the interest they need. We don't look at them as valuable. We're not considering them. We're looking at ourselves. But this early church understood something. Once people were saved, that was the beginning. Now it was up to them to make sure they survived. To make sure they were going to make it. They fellowshipped. All of them. Oh, don't invite so-and-so, man. They're a drag of the fellowship. Oh, we got our own little click here. Me and homeboy, we, that's it. They're not our kind of people. I don't know if I can relate. I've had him come, Pastor, can you talk to that white guy over there? I don't know if I can relate. So I related to you, homeboy. What's that? You can't relate to other people? We're supposed to be Christian loving people and there's a common cause here and this is a powerful thrust that somehow over the years has sort of dwindled on the sidelines somewhere we've overlooked. We've just left it on the sidelines. Their main objective in the church, the Book of Acts church, was to link in with these new believers, make them feel a part of what was happening, make them feel welcome, make them feel wanted, give of themselves for them, bless them, feed them, take care of them, whatever it took. I remember pioneering. I mean, we had people come in the church, and if they came, you know, they came once, man, we, we knew where they lived. 
we knew where they shopped. We were finding them everywhere. Hey, so you come and I went, praise God. What are you doing? What are you doing Wednesday about six o'clock right before church service? Well, I have another. I'll come and eat. Honey, what do we have? Uh, come and eat. We'll have some. We'll find something. Pioneering chicken is a big meal. 29 cents a pound thighs. We were getting them all the time. It was great. Have them over. We would have, you know, uh, how was the meal? Was it good? You want anything else? The fridge is right there. Help yourself. Want to stay over? No problem. We have room. Whatever. You know, you, you want to work with these people. Let them know they're appreciated. Let them know they're cared for. Give them time because people are in desperate need. Even saints within the church. This applies to them as well. You know, there's people in your church, they've been there for years feeling rejected, feeling unloved, feeling that they have no value to your congregation. And they're not making impact because of scheduling or whatever it may be. They can't be involved in a lot of things and they feel like they're on the outs. They need someone to stop by and encourage them. Follow up on them. Let them know that you're interested in them. This is the blueprint they leave for us. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 12 through 14, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety and nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety and nine who never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He says you're supposed to go after them. Find them. Draw them in again. Rejoice in that. Sometimes we take follow-up as a chore. I'll call them again. Man, I've called them four times and they tell me the same story. Yeah, we'll hear it again. Write a book. Do something. Doesn't matter. You have to hear that again. You have to give your heart to them again. We give up too easy. You know, it's not just up to them to make it. Well, they said the prayer. <laughs> they know what to do. They've been here for years. Those flakes. <laughs> Call them. I'm not calling them. They should be calling me. They won't call you. Because that very attitude turns them off. They won't call you because of other issues in their life. They're afraid to call you for fear of disappointing you sometimes. But see, it's our job as Christians, it's our function to take the time and make sure that they're doing well. You know, when I was first saved, nobody followed up on me. You liar. Everybody followed up on you. In fact, you got saved 50 times in the first month. Yeah, you may have done well. And this, that's very dangerous sometimes. Sometimes the Mr. and Miss Perfects that get saved and never have a problem treat everyone as useless because they can't come up to their standard. Yeah, when I was first saved, I did this. Well, that's really nice, but, you know, you're running on eight cylinders. They only got a two-cylinder engine in here, and they're doing good. They're driving a motorbike putt-putt. They don't have the caddy. Give them a chance. Let God use them. 
Let God help them. Let God develop them. When I first got saved, I know, it was so different. Back in 42, you know, when I was... We need to have this heart because we are called to strengthen them. He says, let us go back and strengthen the churches. It brings a strength in these churches. It brings a blessing. You know, even Jesus followed up. In John 21... 15 through 17. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, I love you, Lord. He said, feed my sheep. Then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Jesus went out of his way. Here's Peter and the disciples fishing as usual. Peter's upset. He's denied Christ. His life is falling apart. He's disturbed. He's discouraged. He's in distress. His, his life is in, uh, in turmoil here. And he tells the other apostles at the time, the other disciples, I'm going fishing. No sense hanging around here doing anything. I'm going fishing. They all go, yeah, we're going. Perfect leadership. Leads them into sin, you know, they leave. And here they are on the boat, and they're fishing, and Jesus finds them. He's on the shore calling. He says, cast on the other side. They didn't, as usual, didn't learn the lesson the first time. They had to cast the net again. Brings in the thing and said, it's the Lord. The Bible says Peter had to wrap himself up because he was naked. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was very... Why'd they put that in there, you know? That's what happens when you backslide. People get naked all the time. That's the problem. (laughs) And so he comes in. The Lord helps him. There's blessing there. Jesus restores him. Jesus understood the dynamic because he wanted to strengthen their place in God. He wanted them restored. He wanted to bring a spiritual strengthening to them and a connection to them. He wanted to reestablish their roots in what they needed. How many here think about it? In your church, you know right now there are brothers and sisters struggling. You know it, yet you've done nothing. Oh, pastor should know. But you already know. Well, you know, they've backslidden before, man. They're just not worth my time. Really? Or they, you know, they left. They, they've done this and, you know, they're... You know, and they may be totally fine with God and doing something legitimate, just not involved with everything, but you've blown them off. You've just basically written them off as useless baggage in the kingdom. Jesus says, it'd be better for a millstone to be hung around his neck and cast and see that he hurts one of these little ones. He says, I'm concerned here. I'm interested in them. I love them. I died for them. Do you know Jesus died for them as much as he died for you? I was pondering Pastor Lamb's preaching a bit, and I was thinking about the latter issue. I said, you know what? When Jesus in the theophany came and came down the ladder and wrestled 
with Jacob. He came down the ladder. Jacob was at the bottom. You know, God builds his kingdom church from the bottom up, not from the top down. He builds us from the bottom up, the lowliest saint. He brings in to help them and fit them into the congregation. He fits them in, and yet we're trying sometimes to push them out. Now, I understand you can all balance this on your own later. I understand discipline and all those issues. That's done, and we have to do that. I understand that. But I'm talking about it in a normal Christian relationship. Why have we become so apathetic about people to just let them slip away into who knows what? Because we just don't, dare I say it, give a rip anymore? We don't have time for them. We don't have time for that. I have other things to do. And we let that slip. I want to share with you a little story, true story. Back in 84, I think it was 1984, a man came into the Prescott Church, got saved, was there for, oh, six to eight months, had issues, uh, family issues, uh, things from his prior place where he lived, had to go back there, take care of business. Uh, while he was back there, though, he did well. He was living for God, going to church, not a fellowship church, but going to church, trying to keep his mind on the things of God. And it's very interesting that people from the Prescott Church kept calling him. They kept calling into, hey, how you doing? How's it going? How are things going for you? What are you up to? Are you still in church? Yeah, I'm not in this fellowship. I don't, you know, serve God. You know, they weren't judgmental with this guy. They were just very gracious to him, cared for him. And so he was gone about, oh, two to two and a half years selling properties, doing all these things. So all that came down. And in the interim of that, through the follow-up, he... I knew someone who lived in Atlanta that was a fellowship uh, person. They were just starting to pioneer a church there. So I took a week off. He took a week off, flew down to Atlanta, helped this new pioneer pastor. Now, this guy was saved eight months in Prescott, moved away for two years. Here he is. He's, he's still following the vision, helps this pioneer pastor, and works with him a week. And this pioneer pastor says, you know, man, I just called Pastor Mitchell, and he says, do whatever I can for you, and he just wants to help you. And I'm, you know... I'm thinking, what a great thing that was. You know, Pastor Mitchell remembered this guy and said, you know, help this guy, do this, do this, do this. Well, during that time, that visit into Atlanta, things shifted in this guy's spirit, and he ended up moving back to Prescott in, uh, I think, 87. I think it was 87. Moved back into Prescott, and things transpired. And he found a beautiful wife and married her, and he's preaching to you. Now, what would have happened if no one followed up? Where would I be? Making a lot of money? Whoop, whoop. I wouldn't be here doing this, I'll tell you that. I wouldn't have met my wife, I wouldn't have my kids. Pfft. I'd have been a psycho. But you're talking two and a half years of follow-up. Thank God for Bill Hunt, you're here somewhere. And other men called me, how's it going? Hey, 
We're thinking about you. We're praying for you, man. Just do the will of God. God will help you. All that came around. Pastor Mitchell calling and saying, hey, help that guy. I didn't even think he knew my name. So how many have we lost over the years because no one would even make a phone call? Folks, I was 3,000 miles away. They spent their nickel calling me. Bill Hunt, Bill Bronson, Pete Davis, other men in the congregation in Prescott. Some write microphones, writing me letters, tell me what's happening. Just to stay in touch, just to make sure I no matter where I was. How many have we lost? Ah, he's a flake. He's back in New Jersey. He's out of his mind. I know that was kind of crazy, but hey, things had to be done, you know? How many have we lost? See, it's not just the pastor's job. Pastor Mitchell called in. He, he did his part, but so did all those other brothers. That helped me to make it through the times of thinking through what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And, you know, I was no kid. I was 28 when I got saved. I was over 30 when I finally moved back to Prescott. But thank God for faithful Christian saints that would care for the faithful Christian saints. Folks, we need that. When's the last time you followed up on somebody? I'm not talking about giving them a text message or running into them at the mall and waving at them. I'm talking about following up. Hey, praise the Lord, miss you. Gone, yeah. Talking about following up. I'm talking about giving part of your life to them. Because you can make a difference. Remember Howard Hughes? No, they're not going to have millions of dollars. That's not what we're all about. But you see, in souls, in souls, how valuable can that be? So here I am today, still a knucklehead, but God's using me. We have nine churches out, which isn't a lot, but we have nine. And they are, they are fruitful. They are fruitful. We've seen tremendous amounts of people getting saved. Tremendous amounts of people getting saved. Last month, just in Redlands, not our outreach team is going out, 242. That's a lot of people. And you know why they're not all in the church? Because we're lacking follow-up. Redlands. <laughs> We need hearts for these people to get them in and to hold them once they're there. Don't just blow them off, church. You really need to consider this. This is a, a, an important principle that we have overlooked for a long time. Paul understood this need to the point where he wouldn't even take someone with him because their heart weren't for the people. Jesus understood the need. He bows down heaven on earth, comes to them on the lake, gives them a catch of fish, blesses them, brings them back to where they need to be, and the church takes off. We need this. Your pastor needs you to help. He cannot do everything. He tries. He works. He labors. He can't do everything. What about you? What about you? That's all I have. Brother, would you come?